Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired episode, we have amazing guests join us to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, and their life. Yes, you will hear profound and unforgettably inspiring stories, but more than that, you're going to take away real ideas to apply in your own life and in today's conversation in your own marriage in your own dating, in your own relationships. So get ready for that one. My goal here is to have guests on this show that will inspire you, and I'm looking right at you right now, you, to wake up from accidental living so that you can live inspired. On today's episode, I get to introduce you to a gentleman who first rocked my world in Dallas, Texas at a Dave Ramsey event. I brought my wife with me to this event. I, I was speaking there later on in the afternoon and wanted to grow myself relationally and financially and spiritually and in all the areas of life that I and you are convinced matter. Uh, about halfway through, Les Parrot was introduced and Les spent about an hour with us that day talking about having healthier relationships and and specifically leveraging conflict to grow in intimacy. And I just was blown away then, so moved. I think it elevated the relationship Beth and I share at home. And I wanted to share the gift of Les Parrott and his ideas on conflict, on intimacy, on compassion, on love with you today. So my friends, whether you are uh, lit up right now in your marriage, whether it is falling apart, whether you are in between relationships or you are completely single, thank you very much. This is an episode that will not only give you some narrative of a gentleman's life that is worthy, but it's going to give you some practical tools that you can apply so that you can have healthier, more robust, more vibrant relationships going forward. Buckle up for it because it is on. My friends, welcome with me to the Live Inspired Podcast, my friend and our guest, Les Parrott. Hey, John. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, man, it is an honor. Uh, as we were talking about offline, occasionally I have the opportunity to hear speakers and thought leaders when I'm when I'm out traveling for work. And last October, I believe, I bumped into you at a conference. You blew me away then, and I knew when we launched the podcast, we had to bring you on. So I'm so thrilled you're part of this program today. <laughs> well, vice versa. You were speaking on the same platform I was, and uh, we became fast friends just uh, hearing each other speak, I think. But uh, yeah, it, it's an honor to be with you today. Thanks so much. Les, for those who may not yet know the name Les Parrott, they may not know your background, what you're up to personally or professionally today. Give, give us a quick snapshot of who you are and, and what matters to you. Sure. Uh, well, I'm a psychologist, and my wife, Leslie, who I've been married to for 33 years, um, is a marriage and family therapist, and uh, we do a lot of work together. So we write books together, and uh, we do a lot of speaking. We do a, an event uh, often in churches called Fight Night, which is for couples, and uh, it's all about conflict and, and uh, how to leverage that for your own advantage uh, to bring you closer together as a couple. And so we talk a lot about that. But uh, we've written many books, including Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts is one of our most popular. More than a million couples have read that book, and uh, it's for launching lifelong love. Um, and then uh, uh, I'm also a professor and, and teach psychology and uh, uh, was also involved on the ground floor of uh, a company called eHarmony, mm-hmm. um, which uh, most people have heard of. And uh, really invested in helping couples match well and then learn the skills they need for lifelong love as well. So that's really my lane, relationships. It's all about relationships. 
Well, you're you're not that accomplished, so uh, we're we're glad uh, to hopefully elevate your status in the community. This, this guy, uh, although you you just heard uh, a, a short sheet of what he does, n- number one New York Times bestseller, author of all kinds of phenomenal books that really are worthy. And so, if you don't know the name Parrot, you will by the end of this interview, and you will, I think, seek his work and Leslie's work in order to do your relationships better in marriage and partnership and rearing children and doing life. So, Les, we're thrilled to have you. And yet, I don't think your journey began at fight night in front of 7,000 people cheering you and cheering themselves on forward. I, I think we all have a different story. And frequently, it's just not the story we are telling the world. So let's back the truck way, way, way back to growing up a kid. Where were you born? Talk a little bit about your childhood. Wow. Well, um, this is something that I don't typically get asked uh, in an interview like this. So this should be fun. We, uh, I, my family uh, was uh, at my stage when I was born was in the Pacific Northwest, and so I was born in Seattle, where I live today. But uh, that was only for a few years. And uh, Dad was a a pastor uh, who uh, was innovative, especially for his time. In fact, looking back, I think, wow, he really uh, was doing some cutting edge things. I remember as a kid. They would literally roll out red carpet uh, from the the Hmm. entrance to the church out to the street. Um, This is back in the 60s. And uh, have uh, greeters and and stuff. In fact, Dad wrote a book called The the, uh, Greeter's Manual Hmm. that I think became a bestseller for its day back in with uh, Zondervan Publishing House. So I grew up in a home that was definitely focused on ministry and uh, helping other people. And doing that with a bit of uh, innovation, and uh, I think that has probably a part of my DNA at this point when I look at my own trajectory. But we moved from Portland to, or rather from Seattle to Portland, where Dad pastored a church. And then when I was in about the third grade, um, which should have been the fourth because I was held back a year because I was dyslexic Hmm. and they thought I couldn't read, and went to all kinds of specialists. And uh, um, it was kind of uh, a family project. I remember driving down the road, and, and I had two older brothers, and uh, they would painstakingly uh, have me read the traffic signs, yes. uh, <laughs> things like that to help the little guy read. And so it's a little ironic that uh, the kid that couldn't read very well has written about 50 books, um, but uh, sometimes life is like that. Life is but frequently moved- like that. <laughs> it, you, you're, uh, it sounds like you have other siblings growing up, too. How, how many kids in the in the Parrot family? Yeah. So two older brothers, um, Richard and Roger. Uh, Richard is a professor at uh, a university in uh, Nashville, and then uh, Roger is a college president uh, in Jackson, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And when we were in Portland and we moved when I was in about the fourth grade, third, fourth grade, to Boston, Massachusetts, where Dad became a university president. And uh, so uh, Christian higher education is also in our bloodstream. Uh, That seems to have impacted the whole family. And, uh, you know, uh, we all all brothers have PhDs, and all of our wives do. And uh, (laughs) it just seems to be some some sickness that runs in our family that is higher education. We O'Leary's do not have that same illness. Okay. I just need you to know that. Okay. We need to know the playing field we're playing on today, man. Uh, (laughs) Well, I asked my 14 year old, uh, just within the last week, we were out walking around this lake in Seattle and I said, Hey, what do you think you'll get your PhD in? These are the kind of things my dad would ask me that just took it for granted. And uh, he said, do they have one in making chocolate? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Probably so, yeah. (laughs) Well, I could be like Milton Hershey. Les, in in your childhood, were there any experiences that that, uh, formed you into the guy and the man that you became? Any really transformational events or experiences? Well, uh, I think that dyslexia thing was uh, kind of an interesting path for me looking back on uh, what I do for a living now as an author and so forth. And when we moved to Boston, um, it was during the time when uh, it was really rough in public education. I remember being on a school bus and, and getting stones thrown at us because they were integrating the schools in the early 70s. And 
and it was, uh, you know, pretty violent for a kid to experience that, just trying to go to school. And uh, eventually, uh, um, you know, ended up in a school where um, they could give me some special attention and learning to read, but I also felt like I was, you know, definitely behind everyone else. Yes. And uh, I think that that uh, uh, shaped me in a, a positive way. I, I, I never felt like I had to prove something, but um, because the, the what I do for uh, with my life these days just kind of feels like it flows out of me. It's not a it's not a reaction to something. But um, I just think that I I think that that experience was just part of the the shaping period, the sculpting period of my life to to make me who I am. Um, and then, like I said, you know, with the education just being kind of part of the assumption within our home, I never even questioned would I be going on to graduate school, let alone college. Your your uh, father, and I'm sure your mother, taught you that you will advance forward, that you will uh, become the best version of yourself academically. You today are an expert in relationships and partnerships and marriage and uh, handling conflict, among other things. What what did your mom and dad, looking back on it, teach you about conflict resolution or, or just simply doing life together? Well, I'll tell you, one of the, the major messages that uh, I and my two older brothers got pretty consistently was the, capa- the power of your attitudes. And... Uh, the capacity to adjust to things beyond your control. It was a pretty strong theme in our family that uh, nobody's entitled and uh, you don't always uh, get what you feel like you deserved. And in fact, sometimes you get the very opposite. And uh, yet to learn how to adjust to things beyond your control was a message that was loud and clear, um, not just verbally, but it was verbal for sure. Mm -hmm. But also it was lived out. And I saw it many times, and and you know that's that's a that's a strong message when there's integrity. It's not just preaching, but the doing of it. And uh, I, I remember um, years later, I was Leslie and I were speaking uh, for an event up there in the San Juan Islands, off the coast of Washington, uh, and uh, we had to get back for another engagement. And so the group had a, a plane pick us up. It was a little four seater Cessna, and. Uh, when we lifted off, and Leslie and I were not too excited about getting on this airplane because we'd heard too many tragic stories and had friends and so forth that did not have good experiences. And so we were a little trepidatious about it. But we got in, a, and all of our anxiety kind of dissipated as we lifted off. And it was just gorgeous. You know, we're looking over at the Cascade Mountains with the sun reflecting on them and the Olympic Mountains on the other side of the plane with the sun setting and all the sailboats and the islands and so forth. And just this little hop back to Seattle. And as the plane landed, um, I said to the pilot through my headphones, I'm sitting right next to him, and I said, uh, hey, what's the secret of getting a good landing? And he said, the secret is to find the right attitude in spite of atmospheric conditions. <laughs> and I thought he meant to say altitude. Yes. And so I had him repeat it. And that was the first time I learned that pilots talk about an airplane having an attitude when it lands. It has to do with the tail and the nose in relation yes. to the ground. And when we got off that plane... I said to Leslie, find a pen, because i got to write that down. Find me the right attitude in spite of atmospheric conditions. It so resonated with me because it was such a life message in my home growing up from mom and dad. So when you ask me that question, uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind, is that capacity to adjust to things beyond your control, to rise above your circumstances, uh, to be the person that God designed you to be. And that's pretty lofty, but... It, it, it's also practical, and uh, I don't think I do it nearly as well as my dad did, but I aspire to it, and and so that's one thing. And I think another thing is just this kind of entrepreneurialism. My mom was just a, a go-getter. Um, before I was born, she had a, a chocolate store in uh, C's. I mean, in, not in C's, that's a chocolate uh, uh, company, but in uh, Sears, and Sears and Roebuck. And she would have Laura Lee's world-famous chocolates. And, uh, and I never got to experience that because this was before I was born and it was sold or what have you. But she was that kind of a woman. She wrote cookbooks and, and entertaining books. And, and, uh, and I think I got some of my entrepreneurial spirit from mom as well. well it's, the, the ladies in your life have been extremely influential from what I understand. Tell, tell us not only about your mom, but your wife today. Tell me about Leslie. Where'd you guys meet? 
Yeah, so Leslie and I, obviously, we share the same name. I'm Leslie, <laughs> Leslie, and it's confusing, but that's just the way it is. Well, um, you know, I'm always curious. When you knew that you were falling for this girl and she was falling for the, for this guy, was there ever any trepidation around saying, you know what, it's just it's just too weird, man. We can't have Les and Leslie <laughs> dating together. No, it wasn't weird at all, and I'll tell you why. Because I grew up in a home where I was the third. That meant that dad was Leslie and my grandfather was Leslie. Well, yeah, so. plenty of Leslie's running around. Why not yeah, one more? I, anybody that's going to be close to me, I guess you have to be named Leslie. So. Perfect. But uh, <laughs> where'd you where'd you meet her, Les? So we actually met in Colorado on a ski trip with uh, youth group with our you know, different churches, but the, the churches kind of came together and uh, had this trip to Colorado. And as goofy as it sounds, somebody hollered our name, and we both responded, and that's how we, we first met, because we both answered the same name. Hmm. And uh, she was 14 years old, and I was uh, about 15 and a half, maybe 16. And uh, and when uh, we got, we, we did a little skiing together on that trip, but it wasn't like a, you know, just getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. But when we got back home, um, I asked her out on a date, and we dated through the rest of high school and into college. And then in my uh, senior year of college, uh, she broke up with me <laughs> for about uh, four or five months. And uh, I still get upset thinking about it. <laughs> I'm upset for you, man. I was not expecting you to go that direction with this story. Yeah. Leslie is now in my doghouse, man. I'm very bothered. <laughs> And she actually has some pretty good psychological insight on it. She said that it was just that it was almost taken for granted we were going to get married because we dated. Basically, we were the only people we ever dated. We were, you know, childhood sweethearts. And uh, so she said, I want to make sure this is my decision as much as it is anybody else's. And I need to, to, to come back into this relationship on my own timeline. And so it was heart-wrenching for me at the time. But it, I think uh, it was pretty astute, pretty pretty healthy for her at that stage of her life. So we got, we graduated from college and, and we got married and uh, in Chicago and uh, moved to Los Angeles where we both went to graduate school and began pursuing our advanced degrees. Les, when, when did you realize that your calling was to speak and write and teach and instruct and coach around how to have healthier relationships? Um, well, I always knew from early on that I wanted to write and in fact, I remember I had a, a high school assignment uh, when I was a freshman or sophomore, and it was on the Oregon Trail. Hmm. And uh, I ended up writing about four times more than the teacher required. And uh, it was just because I just loved the process of doing the research and, and, and writing. And so that's always been a part of me. Um, but I'll tell you, there was a real pivot point in the trajectory of our careers and our calling that happened many years later. And we went to graduate school and I got a degree in theology as well as a degree in clinical psychology. And Leslie, of course, got her degree in marriage and family therapy. And so we moved to Los Angeles, moved from Los Angeles up to Seattle because I took a position as a medical psychologist at the University of Washington School of Medicine. And I was doing a postdoctoral fellowship, and I was working on the brain injury unit, and I was working on the burn unit. And and, uh, and so, you know, looking at all this head trauma and, and, and all that kind of thing, and it was, you know, going through the uh, process of helping people manage pain and, and learning hypnotherapy and watching these little kids that would come through the burn unit. And it was just, uh, wow, it was not... Every every night I came home, I had an amazing story to mm-hmm. tell, you know, and I just realized this is heavy duty stuff. I don't know if I can do this day in day out. Um, and uh, while that was happening, um, a few months into teaching, also on a college campus here in Seattle, uh, some students asked Leslie and me if we would come over to the residence hall. And it was about Valentine's uh, week. They said, would you come over and just give a, a talk to our floor mm. on, and this was their title, on how to fall in love without losing your mind. <laughs> and we loved the title. We said, yeah, we can do that. And uh, uh, they said, great. I said, how many are on the floor? They said, well, usually these kind of things will have about a dozen students, 10 or 12 students. I said, all right, fantastic. And 
When we showed up, they had a line literally going outside of the residence hall, several hundred students uh, trying to get in this tiny room. And it wasn't because of Leslie and me. They didn't have any idea who we were. We were brand new. Um, it was because of the topic. And I, I remember just feeling like that need on the whole relationship front was yes. so palpable. I just thought, we've got to do something to help these students more than just give a little talk here. And so it was that spring that we uh, said, let's do a seminar for these students that are, uh, you know, especially on the front end of marriage. And we called it Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. Yes. And by the and, way, I love that title, Les. <laughs> well, it worked because we had a whole lot of students show up for that spring event for the first round. And we said, well, let's do it again next year. And it got even bigger. And then we realized churches were sending couples to us in the community around Seattle and so forth. And, and then the next year it got even bigger. And they're coming from Idaho and Alaska and Oregon. And, and it just got bigger and bigger. And so we eventually wrote that book by that title. And uh, lo and behold, uh, Oprah Winfrey comes knocking on our door and says, uh, hey, let's uh, do a TV show on this, this book. And um, so that was incredible. And then Barbara Walters and then Tom Brokaw. And it just opened up through the media this incredible visibility for this effort. And uh, so that was a, that was a, that's really what launched us. It was, it was those students asking for that need, us responding to it, and then providing some resources. And that's really what laid out the road before us to travel down the whole relationship path. You know, and I realize th- these are, in some regards, short-form interviews. Like, y- you can't unpack the entire book. People can read it if they want. They can go to one of your conferences or a fight night if they choose. Share with us in your own mind, though, what what a couple of the primary takeaways are from that book. Because uh, although uh, some of us are already in relationships, I think we all might benefit from some of the nuggets laid out within the book. Well, the book is focused on seven questions to ask before and after you get married. And it really does apply to any age or stage of, of a couple's life. But uh, one of the, the, well, the very first question is, um, have you faced the myths of marriage with honesty? <laughs> and so when you ask for a, a little nugget, uh, one of those uh, myths is that uh, this person should make me whole. In other words, this person I'm marrying should complete me. They should make up for everything that I'm lacking. And, uh, of course, it's, you know, remember the Jerry Maguire yes, line, you, you complete, complete me, me, baby. Yes. The end of that, right? It resonates, and we want that. And, and uh, yet it's very unhealthy to think in terms of somebody else doing that. It's romantic, but it's just not healthy because we set ourselves up for serious heartache and a lot of pressure because nobody can do that. Nobody can meet all of our needs ever. Nobody can complete you. That's the work that you need to do on your own. And so... Um, so I often say that the most important thing you will do for your relationships is what you do for yourself. And in fact, Leslie and I, part of that story, picking up on kind of, you know, we, we started saving marriage before it starts, but we also thought, well, let's teach a class mm-hmm. on this subject as well. And just offer a class, we'll call it Relationships 101. And similar thing, we thought we might, we literally had a classroom filled with 15 chairs and uh, we thought if we can just get half of them, we will be up and running. Um, and once more, it, we just got flooded with hundreds of students that wanted in this class. And so we started teaching that in the auditorium. And on the very first night of the class, we teach on Monday nights, the very first night I tell these students that uh, it's really up to you whatever notes you want to take the entire semester, but I want you to write down this single sentence. And uh, I build this thing up, and I'll get poised with the pencils and with their keyboards, and then finally given a sentence, and here it is. If you try to build intimacy with another person before you've done the difficult work of getting whole on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. Mm-hmm. And then we unpack that for about the next two hours. Uh, but the whole concept is your marriage or your relationships or your friendships can only be as healthy as you are. Therefore, one of the most important things you'll ever do for your relationships is get healthy yourself, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, psychologically healthy. So that's that's an example of a little nugget from Saving the Marriage Before It Starts. I'm curious, man. When, uh, you're teaching all this, I believe, in Seattle. Is it Seattle Pacific University? Yeah. Yeah, we taught there for a long time. You, um, <laughs> I look back at my life, Les, and, and uh, 
man, I was a really, really, really good husband. Like, I'm not trying to brag, but awesome until I got married. <laughs> and I, I could have taught anybody how to parent, man, when I was in high school and college and as a young man. And then I became a parent. And now I realize I have no freaking clue how to parent. And I'm trying to figure <laughs> it out. And I'm, I wish I was a lot more like my mom and my dad. So I'm curious, as a young couple, Les and Leslie, you're teaching these classes. Did you really know what you were teaching? And do you look back on some of the early lessons that you were teaching, realizing, gosh, we, 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 we missed it a little bit there. We, we were just wrong. We were too young to really explain it accurately. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, and I think that the answer to that is pretty much no, not because we're just so incredibly smart, but we weren't really teaching from our experience as much as we were from research and then applying our experience to it. So in other words, um, you know, it's what we do for a living. We're social scientists. And so we dig into that research and then try to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, make it easy and accessible for people to learn from it. And uh, the best way to do that is by applying it to our own lives and pointing out where we go wrong. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Leslie and I often say we are not uh, proclaimers, we're pilgrims. <laughs> we're in the journey with you. We're not standing on a, a, a platform three feet uh, uh, above you with uh, immune to contradiction. I mean, we make mistakes. And um, in fact, do you remember Gary Smalley? Is that name mean anything to you, Gary Smalley? He was a marriage yes, uh, yes, yes. guru, yes. and uh, sadly, he went to heaven uh, about a year, two years ago. And uh, uh, anyway, he used to joke that uh, he made his living by just standing up on the stage and telling people about all his marriage mistakes. <laughs> right. um, because when people can see that you're authentic and real, that your heart is trying, uh, it gives you a lot of, uh, of credibility. And uh, in much the same vein, that's what we do with uh, our stuff. So do we look back and cringe at some of the things we taught? Probably, probably more of the methodology than yes. the content. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a fun, we, we love traveling in this lane. It really gets us energized. Les, one of the main takeaways from that first question, um, the one from saving your marriage before you start, have you faced the myths mm -hmm. of marriage with honesty? Are, are, are you complete? Are you whole? For those of us who uh, realize we're not, and I would imagine that is the vast majority of our friends and followers and listeners today, including the guy interviewing you, I'm tr we're, we're working on ourselves, man. We are pilgrims on the journey. What, what are a couple ideas that you think in a busy world that we all live in and love in that are ways that we can become a little bit more whole ourselves? Yeah, well, that's always the question, isn't it? Because, well, how do I know if I'm whole? Right. Um, and uh, so how do you know if you're healthy? And of course, you never arrive. Nobody wakes up one morning and goes, hey, I guess I can check this off my to-do list. I'm completely healthy now. Um, we're always in process. But a few mile markers to kind of, uh, you know, give some sense of, of whether we're headed in the right direction, uh, let me toss out. And one of those is um, what I call embracing your profound significance. Uh, in other words, uh, I think the healthy person, and, and by the way, this again comes from some research, and it certainly has spiritual applicability as well, but uh, uh, it's understanding that deep down in your bones and feeling it deep down in your soul that you have purpose on this planet, that, that, uh, that God loves you, as St. Augustine used to say, God loves you as if you're the only person on the planet to love. And we might believe something like that or, or quote scripture or what have you, but, but to really feel that deep in our experience is quite another thing. And so it, I think it begins with that. I think that uh, it also involves uh, what I call unswerving authenticity. I think that uh, another mile marker, are you following the path that you know you need to be following in spite of what anybody else says? Because it's easy to give in to pressure whether it's from peers or parents or, or anybody else, but to know that this is the path I've got to follow because this is the path God's leading me down in spite of what anybody else thinks. Yeah. Um, and, and then another mile marker might be self-giving love, this capacity to transcend your own boundaries and recognize that other people's needs are different than yours. Uh, that's when we put into practice, I think, one of the greatest, greatest relationship skill sets ever, and that's empathy, mm -hmm. the capacity to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. When you get a lock on things like that, um, that's when you know you're traveling on the right path for uh, spiritual and emotional and psychological 
uh, well-being and health. Shifting gears just a little bit. Uh, I've been married myself now for 14 years. Her name is Elizabeth Grace. I call her Beth. She's awesome. The mother of my four babies. Healthy marriage. We're in a good place. And like any normal couple, we occasionally have our hurdles and our stumbling blocks, which can sometimes lead to arguments, sometimes lead to the word you might use, fights. Uh, I never feel good after a fight. You know, I, I never feel good about it. I never feel good when we're arguing about something, and it's usually something seemingly insignificant. And yet one of the things you teach is to leverage the fights that we all have in life with the couples, the partners, the relationships we have into something positive. Share with me what you mean by that and how we can actually do it. Well, there's three big kinds of fights, categories of fights. There's bad fights. Those are fights that tear us apart and rip at the fabric of our relationship. And then there's dumb fights that are just stupid, you know. We had a couple uh, in our office a little while ago that were fighting about whether their cat was fat or yes. not. That, that's a dumb fight. It's a worthy right? fight. The, yeah. And then there's good fights. And the good fights are those fights that actually bring you closer together. And as we often say, conflict is the price we pay for a deeper level of intimacy. Let me say that again. Yeah. Conflict, if you know how to fight a good fight, if you have the right tools, conflict becomes the price we pay for a deeper connection. And so that's really what I mean by that, is that a fight that uh, you can use to bring more clarity, more, uh, more understanding, more sensitivity, more patience, all the good things that we want uh, as a human being in our character and the person that we're married to can be enriched as a result of that fight. So our goal is not to avoid conflict. It's to turn whatever that conflict is into a good fight. Because the truth is, it's not that they're simply, oh, this one's a bad fight and that's a good fight. No, we, we make them either bad or good by the choices that we make in the context of them. So that's what I mean by that. Conflict is, is something you can use to your advantage if you're not a fight a good fight. And, you know, and clearly we are talking about marriage right now, but this applies at work and, uh, and Starbucks drive through and everywhere else. T tell me, though, for those of us in an intimate relationship, a partner, girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, uh, if if they don't fight in quotes fair, if they're not willing to pull the chair up at the table and have the conversation and turn a bad fight into conflict, into a good fight, into coming even closer together in intimacy. How, how can you do that? How can you do it on your own? Or how can you encourage them to take a step with you? Yeah, well, there's a pretty interesting dynamic that happens relationally. And that is that when one person begins to make a change, the other person has to change. Hmm. Uh, why is that? Because there's an equilibrium that we kind of establish in the relationship, like a mobile hanging from the ceiling. And if you change one little piece of that mobile till it's out of balance, the whole thing kind of shakes wildly until it finds its new balance, right? And the same thing happens in our relationship. When one person in the partnership begins to change the dance steps, the other person goes, whoa, 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 what's happening here? Mm -hmm. This isn't how you normally play. This isn't our script. And, uh, and so the other person, whether they want to or not, they have to, find, they have to reposition. And um, now they might reposition to something that is still just as frustrating but as long as that other person is growing and getting healthier, it's incredible how that other person almost follows in the wake eventually. It might take time, but one person, uh, I'm not saying, you know, it's a martyr complex and yeah. I've got to own it all or, or anything like that, but I'm saying be encouraged if you're married to somebody who is not that person bringing the, the chair up to the table, uh, you can do incredible positive things for your relationship on your own to become pretty contagious. Give us the the best advice, uh, the one thing that we can do to become, I like the word, contagious. What What is one thing that as we shift our own equilibrium and uh, the entire room starts to change with us, what, what, what what's the thing that you think, gosh, if you could start practicing this O'Leary and followers, you, you could really yeah. see some beautiful things take place at home? Well, I alluded to it a moment ago, and it's it's contained in that single word, empathy, the capacity to put yourself and the other person's shoes. We know from research that 90% of our conflicts are totally, they totally dissipate if all we do is accurately see the, the issue from our partner's perspective and they do the same for us. Now, if the other partner isn't willing to do that, even if you do that, that's where it becomes contagious. We know this. There's actually what we call mirror neurons 
Um, and when you begin to do something, it's like your partner begins to mimic unconsciously hmm. the same thing. And so when you begin to put yourself in that person's shoes and accurately see the world from their perspective and, and underline the word accurately, because that's the thing. Most of us, I sometimes tell my college students, you know, they're, they're in my counseling class, uh, you know, huge difference between sympathy and empathy. Yes. Sympathy is standing on the shore and throwing out a life ring to somebody that's struggling in the water. And every decent human being does that. Empathy, much more risky. That's diving into the water, risking your own well-being to bring that person back to shore. And not everybody does that. In fact, that's so rare, we call those people heroes. <laughs> and it's just as heroic when we do that in our marriage relationship or any other relationship for that matter. But that's, that's empathy. I wish we could box it up. I wish everybody that was listening to our voices right now, we could say, hey, we're going to send you a box of empathy. Make sure you open it up tonight and let it run wild throughout your relationships because it would change everything. That single skill set is very difficult to exaggerate the, the value of it. It's incredible. Les, is there any way that we can foster empathy? Any, uh, any practice that you take part in or that you've seen in research that seems to elevate our own level of compassion and empathy in relationships? Yeah, well, um, it, it, empathy it has two strong components, your head and your heart. And it's like two wings of an airplane. So if you want to get empathy off the ground, you've got to sympathize with your heart and analyze with your head. And most of us do one or the other of those pretty well. And so if you will just do a little inventory on yourself to, to recognize which, which of those do I struggle with? You know, sympathy, we, we described, but analyzing is when you step back from the situation and go, hmm, I know how I would feel if I were in that person's shoes, but I'm not them. Mm -hmm. Let me see if this is accurate. And so you begin to probe. You ask, well, is this how you're feeling? Uh, you know, and when you begin to pull another person out to more accurately understand them, you begin to analyze it. So, so that's, uh, that's, that's how you foster that. It's learning to ask those kinds of questions, set your own agenda in abeyance, at least temporarily, to accurately understand their world by asking the questions that help you get there. Les, you have traveled the world as a husband and as a speaker and coach. You've written dozens and dozens of books. Uh, you've run a beautiful race, man, and you got a long uh, race in front of you still. But is, is there anything today that you're working on that you're super excited about? Yeah, always. Uh, <laughs> we have something that we've been cooking for a long time. I mentioned up front that, uh, you know, we were with eHarmony for the first 10 years of that company and helped to pull together that matching mechanism and, and all that with an incredible team. Neil Warren's the the founder of that company, of course, but we were right there with him from the beginning. And uh, one of the things that we said early on is if we can ever make that work, we want to do the same thing for couples that are already matched, couples that are already married together. We want to bring something magical to their relationship through technology. And so that's what we've been working on for the last many years. And we just released this within the last well, six, seven months. And it's called the Deep Love Assessment, mm. uh, the Deep Love Assessment. And here's how it works. Um, you and your, your spouse or the person you're dating goes online, and you each answer a series of questions. It'll take you about 15 minutes each, and you answer them separately. And uh, once you've both completed that, you'll instantly receive a 12-page uh, report that comes to the two of you. And it doesn't go to anybody else, doesn't go to a pastor, a priest, or a counselor, or anything else. It comes straight to you. And it's a, a basically a customized roadmap for lifelong love that's designed with you in mind. So it, it's not the, the general stuff that we give to every couple. This is customized based on how you two are hardwired. You know, there's never been a marriage like yours before, mm -hmm. if you think about it. And there never will be again, because you're too multifaceted as individuals, and then you come together and create this unique chemistry between the two of you. And so the deep love assessment is designed to help you recognize what those are and ultimately raise your level of awareness about that and do exactly what we just talked about, and that's empathy, to put yourself in each other's shoes uh, when it comes to communication. And, uh, in fact, we had a couple just recently that told me that they went through the deep love assessment, and they've been having some of the greatest conversations of their life. 
mm-hmm. uh, because they understand now, oh, that's what you need from me in a conversation. This is how you're hardwired for a great, uh, you know, we call it their top type, how you're designed for a conversation. So we do that. We get into the whole attitude thing that we talked about in this interview. We get into conflict management and, and uh, uh, time styles. You know, that's the second biggest complaint that couples have in their relationship is we just don't have uh, the kind of time we'd like together. Right. The number one complaint is communication, but number two is time. And uh, I'm sure you can identify with that. Most really productive people are like, man, if I could just have more time. And it sometimes feels like you give your best time to everybody at work and your spouse gets the leftovers. And so... Um, there's a whole page in there about how to use your time and reclaim the moments you've been missing together. But anyway, if you can't tell, I'm kind of excited about man, it. Man, I love it. I need you to take a breath now, Les. Take a, take a breath. Take some Gatorade, man. You're fired up, and I feel it. And uh, the cool thing is I, I, I know from uh, our conversation that this is a legitimate, beautiful, worthy, transformational tool that has not been only run through by a few beta tests. You've had thousands and thousands and thousands of couples go through this with rave right. reviews. So uh, where, where can we learn a little bit more about it? Yeah, so it's easy to remember. Uh, just deeploveassessment.com, and you can go there to uh, check it out. There's a little video and so forth that gives you a nice overview, but it's it's pretty straightforward and simple. It also comes with a uh, an action plan that you can download. It's about 30 pages, and uh, it's designed really to create some positive date nights um, mm. so that you unpack pieces of the report together and create some kind of fun experiences. But Deep Love assessment.com and it's affordable it's $35 and uh, um, I think that uh, if you give it a, a shot and, and by the way we design this so it's not guilt inducing I know some people think well that's the last thing I want to do is take an assessment yes. for my relationship because it's going to grade me there's no <laughs> way to fail it everybody comes out in positive light because it's designed for inspiration and uplift it's no, no shame no blame no guilt it's all about positivity and uh, so, you know, like I said, pretty exciting. Well, I love it. I have not gone through it myself. And my commitment to you and to my listeners and to my bride who's tuning in is I'm in. So I, I can't wait to check cool. it out myself, Les. We're, we're, we're going to cool. shift gears a little bit from uh, hearing about your work, hearing about your life, to what we call the Live Inspired 7. The, the, the first time Les Parrott and I met each other was actually in Dallas at a Dave Ramsey event. Mr. Ramsey put it on. Les and I were both a part of this thing, an honor to be there. Les blew me away, but Dave Ramsey has been a guest on the show. Now you, Les, will go through the same seven questions Brother Ramsey and many others have been asked and answered. So the first question to you is, what's the best book you've ever read? Wow. Well, I'm sure everybody says the Bible, so I'm going to go to the second tier on that um, and uh, say uh, uh, probably um, Emotional Intelligence, hmm. um, Daniel Goleman's book, Emotional Intelligence, was really groundbreaking and uh, profound to me. Uh, I read, I read a, another book that comes to mind uh, called Learned Optimism uh, by yes, Martin Sullivan. That's a great one, too. Yeah. <clears throat> Tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions. What would you do with this newfound wealth, Les? Mm, well, I have given that some thought, so that's not uh, a difficult one to answer. I would want to establish on college campuses far and wide, wherever I could, uh, centers for healthy relationships. And I think it would be transformative to give education to a whole new generation on how to build healthy relationships. Uh, I think we would see the divorce rate drop dramatically. And when it does, by the way, Incredible things happen. One thing we didn't talk about along the way, Leslie and I worked for the governor of Oklahoma for 12 months, moved to Oklahoma. Why? Because they have the highest divorce rate in the country. And when you lower the divorce rate, people's all kinds of positive things happen from education and, and uh, health and, and, uh, and wealth and other things. But uh, anyway, that's what comes to mind. I would do that. I don't know how long my answers get to be on these. No, your, your answers are fitting within the required time, so you're doing great. <laughs> okay. Question number three out of seven. If your house caught fire, all living things, including animals and people, are out, and you have a chance to run in and grab one item, one thing that really matters to you, 
what would you run in for? My laptop. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. My laptop is my second brain, so uh, I would do anything I could to get my hands He's on. got his laptop. I think it's a, gr- it's a good grab. <laughs> if you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who, who would you want to have that visit with? Well, this is going to sound corny, but I can tell you the honest truth that it wouldn't be some celebrity. It wouldn't be... Uh, it wouldn't be uh, Abraham Lincoln or Paul McCartney or anybody else. It would be uh, my wife, Leslie. That's, uh, she is. She loves the beach. And I love it that she loves the beach. And we've had some of our greatest talks there. So uh, that, that's an honest answer. It's not just because I specialize in marriage. It really <laughs> Uh, it's a beautiful answer, and it's uh, one I've heard once before, and I've asked this question many, many, many times. I love it. So th- thank you for the inspiration there. What, what's the best advice, Les Parrot, that you've ever received? Hmm. Probably what I told you in that interview, and that is uh, master the capacity to adjust to things beyond your control. Life is unfair. Life is going to deal you some, some jolts. And uh, that's true in marriage, too. You know, every good marriage eventually bumps into something bad. And it's how you react to that uh, that will determine whether you sink or swim together as a couple. Mm. So I, I think that message from, from mom and dad throughout all those early years of my life is probably one of the greatest sermons that uh, I've ever heard. I'm going to say it again because, uh, you know, I know a lot of our listeners are driving or uh, having a daiquiri at the beach or wherever they're tuning in right now. But <laughs> hear these words one more time. Master the capacity to adjust to things beyond your control. Um, dude, we could drop the mic on that one. Unfortunately, we have two more questions, but that, that is so profoundly important. And whether you want to focus on marriage, your spiritual journey, your finances, you, you missed the bus earlier today, whatever, to master the capacity right. to adjust to things beyond your control. Beautiful. Right. What, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Oh, relax. Just relax, buddy. It's going to be okay. Uh, I, I'm a hard-driving type A personality, and I live for the future, and uh, I live life with a certain level of urgency. And uh, I would just tell my, my earlier self to just, Slow down a little bit, mm. and uh, and uh, you, you can do okay. Les, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you want your one sentence to read? Mm, that's a tough one. <laughs> I had about four different thoughts shoot through my head immediately when you said that. Um, uh, I would want to... Uh, he remembered uh, certainly as a, a, a man who uh, loved his family and, and did an incredible piece of work with uh, his two boys, uh, John and Jackson, and uh, with, uh, um, and by the way, did we even talk in this interview about Jack, my, my first son, being born three months ahead of schedule as a micro preemie? Did we talk about that? That did not come up. Yeah, we missed out on that one, too. But talk about adjusting to things beyond your control. This little guy was born three months ahead of schedule and weighed a pound when he was born. They didn't think he'd survive. And he went through multiple surgeries and plenty of 911 calls and yes. all the rest. And so that, uh, that capacity to adjust uh, played a big role in that, that whole chapter of our lives. Well, as, as you as you as you uh, frame up your one sentence, Les, I, I have every confidence that this will not be our last dance together. And uh, I want to hear more about your son's story, more about your marriage, more about how we can have better relationships, healthier relationships, and how we can carry forward your torch on how how to more proactively control what we can control. So, uh, I yeah. we didn't hear the story today. I'm aware of it just from uh, other connections. But I think our listeners yeah. would benefit from hearing that too. So, uh, well, I think I think that's where to answer that last question. That's where I'm at. I just I just want to be known as a guy that, that loved his family with all his heart. Well, Les Les Parrot, uh, author, doctor, coach, teacher, guru, pilgrim, a man who <laughs> loved his family with all of his heart, and gentleman who teaches the rest of us to master the capacity to adjust to things beyond our control. It has been an honor to have you with us in the Live Inspired Studio today. 
Well, let me tell you, uh, like you, I've done countless interviews, and uh, I've never done an interview like this before. It was super fun. <laughs> so thanks for thanks for the journey today. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, man, I'm grateful. Please tell Leslie hi, and, and thank you for the time. Will do. My friends, that was Les Parrott. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired. My friends, I don't know about you, but I just ended up taking about four pages of notes. And on the chance that you did not because you were too busy uh, maybe driving or working or some of you I know work out while you are checking out the Live Inspired podcast, I, I have them in the show notes. They're worthy. They're worth not only looking back on, but also uh, sharing with friends that you think might benefit from the advice from the sage wisdom that Les Parrott shared with us today. So if you've not yet checked out our show notes, check them out. You can learn more at johnolearyinspires.com, johnolearyinspires.com, or grab those notes from wherever you may pull down your podcast. As each of you know, we are still in the infancy in some regards of launching this Live Inspired movement, and we are still climbing the charts. That is because of you. That's because you are sharing this through your social links. You're sharing this at work. You're sharing this at family functions. You're sharing this at the places where you worship and the places where you work out and the places you have a drink uh, at, at nighttime. Thank you for sharing our message in a marketplace that is so full of negativity and messages of fear and anxiety and death. We remind our community, we remind one another of the truth that it may not be perfect, but these are good days. We try to own what we have and do the best we can in order that we can become the best versions of ourselves going forward. Thank you for helping us do that. Thanks for spreading the word. Keep telling the guys and gals you hang out with about the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. My friends, I love sharing these with you. I love taking notes. I love being inspired. And my favorite note today, and I think you heard it loud and clear from Les, was that idea of, and I'm, I want to get this right for you, word for word. I don't want to do Les any lack of justice on this one. Here it is. To master the capacity to adjust to things beyond your control. Uh, th this ought to be your bumper sticker for this day, for this week, and until you come back into the Live Inspired community next week. To master, to master the capacity to adjust to things beyond your control. And in the end, it's almost all beyond your control. So how do we master into that, my friends? That is what we are doing as we wake up from accidental living and choose to live inspired. I am so grateful that you choose to tune in to this podcast. I'm so grateful to have you part of this movement. And I want to remind you loud and clear that in spite of some difficulties today, that your best, your best is yet to come. My friends, for this time and until next time, this is John O'Leary and today is your day. Live inspired. <laughs>